Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. I'm so excited. I think I need a pull to calm down. Isn't God amazing? I'm just, I'm so overwhelmed by how incredible he is and just how good he is in our lives. And just during worship, while we were singing about stepping off the throne of our hearts, I just felt the Lord continue to encourage me and us as a church is that Jesus will never force you off the throne of your heart. He will not take that throne with, a military, with military force. It's, it's a decision that you need to make to step down and to allow him to sit on the throne of your life. And I pray this morning that as we share the word, it may seem very practical and, and how we should be as a church, but I think the, at the root of it, the, this is what it's all about. This is the reason we do what we do. Jesus is, is the passion of our lives as a, as a church. We are passionate about Jesus, and we'll say that unashamedly. He is the head of this church. He leads us, and it's incredible just to, to see what God is doing in our nation, in this community, and what a great privilege it is for us to be a part of that. We get to be a part of what God is doing in our generation today. Isn't that a crazy thought? We get to be a part of it. Why would we not want to be a part of it? So I'm going to just pray uh, again. And if you would just join me, Lord, help us to understand that the church is a body and a body moves. A body doesn't, isn't created to, to stand still. A body does things. And Lord, as your, as your body, as this local church, we want to move with you and with your Holy Spirit. The body follows the direction of the head. And Jesus, we declare once again that you are the head of this church and we cannot do everything we do without you. Direct us, Lord, how to move, how to live, how to worship, how to serve, and most of all, how to love, Lord. And we know that when we follow your leadership, you will use our individual lives and this church to impact the world in Jesus' name. So today is entitled Volunteer Sunday, but I think by the end of this message, the title would have changed. We'll tell you what it'll be by the end of the message. We're going to be chatting today. It's going to be a little bit of a group effort. Uh, Pierre and Henry are going to join me here, and we've got a few videos to show, but we want to speak a bit about how, what it is to be the church. Here we are as every nation, Somerset West, what are we called to do? What is at the heart of what Jesus wants us to do? Now, we've got very limited time and we realize that to try and we could do a whole series on being the body of Christ. So we're praying that today God would just touch your hearts and create a spark or a fire in your hearts that would get you to move in the right direction. So when we think about the church, the church is not a place. It's a people who are following a personal God. The church is not a building. This Beaumont venue is not the church. We can meet anywhere we want to, but the church is a body which needs to function together, a body of believers. We're gonna spe be speaking a bit today about uh, the gifts that God gives to us, and when you read through your Bible, in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, we read about the gifts that the Godhead gives to us. 
And the reason that he gives us those gifts is not for our personal gain, but it's so that the, we would build each other up and it is for the good of the church. It's to give glory to God and to advance his kingdom. Do you know that you as a disciple of Jesus and as a Christian, God has given you a supernatural gift? Do you know that? Some of you may not believe that, but God has done that. And I want you to think of this for a moment. If we limit church to one day a week, to two hours a week coming to this place where we sit and we, where we listen to one person uh, demonstrating his gift, as I maybe do now, or listening to a group of people playing instruments and demonstrating their gifts, or a few people in the kitchen exercising the important gift of making coffee, and we appreciate that, wouldn't it be a sad thought to think that it's limited to just a handful of people? That's a sad thought for me. I want you to know that as you sit here today, God has empowered you with spiritual gifts. You are part of the body. The Bible says that the different body parts, they cannot function to their optimum if they don't work together. And if the eye doesn't work with the ear, there's no use. If there is no ear, then the eye suffers. The body needs to function completely together. So I wanna encourage you today, please know that you are gifted with a supernatural gift from the throne room of God and God wants you to use that gift. We've got an illustration here of Jenga and Pierre's gonna come and explain it but we're just gonna, I'm just gonna share with you my side of the story as to how we got here. Last week, during worship, um, I knew that I was preaching today and I felt the Lord start to speak to me about what he wanted to share today. And I started typing some stuff on my phone. If you saw me texting last week during worship, I wasn't texting, I was taking notes uh, for today. And the Lord just spoke to me very clearly and there was a lot that was coming into my mind. And then I felt a great sense of just God wanting to demonstrate today's message through an illustration and I thought, okay, that's good. And then I started thinking, how can we illustrate volunteering for church and being part of the body, etc.? So I had a few of my own thoughts. And then all of a sudden, this picture of Jenga came into my mind. And I'd recently done a wedding a couple of months before. And during, once the ceremony part had been done, there were drinks outside. And they were playing this Jenga game. But it was this big. It wasn't this big. So when Pierre said, no, I've got some, a Jenga set, I thought it was going to be much bigger this morning. So I'll let Pierre share his part of the story. I'll share from down here. So I want you to, to hear how God is leading us. And this is no joke. I was standing here during worship last week, and I was praying for this Sunday. And I said, God, there has to be an illustration to demonstrate to us what you are leading us into. Because it's the year of increase but that increase ain't happening unless you find your place where you fit into this body. And we also said it's a year of fruitfulness for each one of us. So I joke you not, during worship, I prayed and I said, God, well, you've got to give me a picture. And he showed me Jenga. And he said, there's an illustration in Jenga. So Monday, I went to Rick. I said, Rick, I know you're preaching, but I've got an illustration in my heart that I want to share with the people of a prophetic word that I feel God has for us. And he said, yes, I'm listening. I said, I saw during worship a picture of Jenga. And Ricky went like this, Jenga. 
I said yes. He went, woo He ran out the door. He took his notes. He said, it's exactly the same illustration that God gave me during worship to use this morning. And that's by no means, it's not a hype moment, please. This is saying that God is speaking and we're listening in. So there are, there are five thoughts that I want to share with you in this illustration this morning. And I want to speak this prophetically over us. And I want you to listen in and take note of where you find yourself in this most important of this picture right up front here. Now, verse in the back, this is the reason why you have to sit up front in church because you get to see the full picture. Just hint, hint, there's some open chairs here for the future. But this Jenga set is on the firm foundation of Jesus. If this thing falls, this ain't going anywhere. And this is how we built in this house, Jesus at the bottom. He's the sustaining one. He's also at the head, leading us. But this foundation, the cornerstone, will never be moved. Because sadly so, we live in an environment where church bodies do topple and fall, but Jesus is immovable. And we build around Jesus here at the bottom. So even though I might pull on this a little bit, and this thing might fall over, which I hope not because it wouldn't help the illustration. I want you to know that at the bottom, Jesus is sustaining this. But I believe he's calling some of us who's been sitting on the sidelines to get stuck in. That's the first thing that I believe he's saying. It's time for you to come and find your place in the body. And you'll see as more people get stuck in what happens to this Jenga, it increases. So first of all, there's some of you that's been for whatever reason and for whatever season, you've been holding back and you've been saying, uh -uh, I'll come and I'll attend on a Sunday morning, but that's enough. But then secondly, I believe there's some of us that God is calling to lead up, where you've been serving in a certain area, but you know there's more. You've got to start leading up into that which God has for you. You say, okay, if we want to see increase, I might have been packing chairs for a season of five or 10 years, but I need to be a life group leader because there's more people that needs to be discipled in this church. But here's the key. When you move out to move up, we're still gonna need some people to pack the chairs, right? And again, the third thing and the third thought is when we lead up, we create space for more people to come in. If you hold on to your packing chairs like this is the be and end all and you don't say, God, there's more and I need you to lead me upwards, you're never creating space for someone else to come in and pack chairs for a season. So first of all, we've got to start getting stuck in those of us on the sidelines. Secondly, we have to lead up those of us who God is calling to be leaders in this community. Thirdly, when we do that, we create room and we make room for others to come and get stuck in being the body of Christ. And then two more thoughts that is, is critical that I wanna share with you. Some of these blocks you just can't remove. If I pull hard on this one and the one next to it, this whole thing is gonna tumble down. And that's why God has given the body things like leadership. He has given leadership to the church for the steering of the church. And some of these are incredibly important to stay in position. That's the fourth observation of this word. And we've got to trust that God has put those there to sustain this building. And then the last one is if I come in and I say, you know what, I'm Jenga block 29 and I'm gonna come in here, but you, you know what, I, I think that what I have to give is a little bit bigger and a little bit more. And you push your boundaries out 
this thing is gonna fall as well. So it also speaks of submission. It speaks of being a part of the body and not coming and say, I want it this way or that way, but you come into a position where you say, I wanna serve the bigger picture of the house of God. So five things this morning, I wanna share them again. Some of us has gotta lead up. Some of us have gotta get stuck in. As you lead up, more spaces are created and it's space for some of you to come in. Leadership is at key points, positioned there for this thing to remain standing. And we've gotta understand our boundaries within our work as a people and the call of God. And that's just what I believe God is saying to us this morning in preparation for, for the year. And then we'll see, let's say it all together. Increase. Thanks, Rick. Back to you. Thank you, Pierre. So studies have shown that if a one person, let's say a pastor, was responsible solely for the care, pastoral care, of a group of people, he would only be able to reach 75 people. And I'm guessing that would be at a stretch. So there already we already, already wanting to mobilize people in the church where you can encourage and care for people. It's not the duty and the sole responsibility of those who are in full-time ministry as a, as a profession. So how do we, well, what's the answer to all of this? How do we make it happen? And the answer is that we, know, we, we mustn't have the mindset of that we just attend church and we go to church, but we need to be the church and being the church requires that we are participants and not spectators. Jesus wants that for your, for your life. He wants you to be a participator. So you might say, you know, it's, it's already such a great um, effort and commitment for me just to get here or get to a meeting once a week. Are, you, are we saying that you are asking more from me? Well, we are asking more, but we want to encourage you to do that. But I'm not the one asking you. Uh, if we turn to Romans 12, we'll see who is that person who's asking. So if you can turn to Romans 12 in your Bibles, and we'll read together. Therefore, this is Paul speaking, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I'm going to just stop there and speak a bit about that. Paul is not just writing to this church. He is he's urging them. I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, let your lives be a living sacrifice. I wonder how much pressure Paul was under. He planted many churches, and he was so busy planting churches that he had to move to the, from one church to the next to encourage them to build relationship to see how they were doing. But he knew in his mind that he had to equip people. He had to equip bodies in those churches so that they could fulfill the role that God had created for them as a local church. He understood that and he realized the importance of it. I urge you, I urge you brothers and sisters, he knew that he needed to make disciples, to train leaders, and to encourage them in their relationship with God so that they could be the church. And the motivation that Paul gives is here. It says, in view of God's mercy. Now, this is only three words, but if we think about it, the motivation that 
Paul had and all the apostles and the disciples that led them to dying horrible deaths to proclaim the gospel, they never lost sight of God's mercy. Think of your own life. When was that moment where you met Jesus? How many of our lives here have been changed by the working of God's spirit? And how thankful are we for that? I can honestly say that the fact that I'm standing here today in the place where I'm at, I had nothing to do with this. I'm so thankful, and I don't wanna keep this to myself. I need to go and share this with the world. And that's the role of the church. The church is to step out and to reach the lost, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And that cannot be done by one person. Paul realized that. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 14 to 16. This is from the Message Bible. And he shares a bit about the mercy of God. But I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know who I was doing it against. Grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me. And all because of Jesus. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Your life may be the only Bible that, that people read. The way that you live and demonstrate what God has done in your life, it gives expression to God's glory through your life. Paul goes on to say, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Isn't it good news that we are living sacrifices and not just sacrifices? Jesus paid the ultimate price. Jesus was the sacrifice to redeem us from all the wrongdoing in our life. He was the one who died. It was required of him that he died to save us. But what he requires from us is that we are a living sacrifice so that we get to live every single day with the, the thankfulness to God to give expression to what he's done in our lives. That's what a living sacrifice means. It might mean that we don't get to really uh, you know, pursue after our selfish desires. With Jesus sitting on the throne of our hearts, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus will ask us to do stuff. But you know what? I, I, I've met many people who are scared to make that step because they think that allowing Jesus to sit on the throne of their heart will lead to a boring life. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? I, I think this is a fear that the enemy puts in our lives. I've had the most incredible life ever with Jesus. I couldn't have thought of a better life. Yes, it hasn't been easy, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. So Jesus is call, calling us to be living sacrifices, daily laying down our lives. Paul says that this, this laying down of our lives is a holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In some translations, it says this is your reasonable act of worship. And it's pleasing to God. Paul says that we should no longer be motivated by what the world tells us to do. And folks, you know, this is the challenge. We are caught up in this world here. And daily we are getting bombarded 
with advertising and whatever, media and stuff we read and hear. We are getting bombarded with stuff that says, hey, you are the most important thing. You need to look after yourself. You need to make sure that you are, are well looked after. That's not the good news. That's not the gospel. The Bible tells me that I should consider others more than myself. And when we live that life, this is holy and pleasing to the living God. I'm gonna read from verse two now, but listen to what Paul, listen to the instruction that he gives. He starts to share now what it means to be the church. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do all have the same, do not have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. And now he starts to share a bit about the gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And that is how the structure is built, the different gifts in the different places. Each of us have been given something very specific. You might say, well, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a teacher or a leader. To that, I would respond to you and say, don't forget about the serving, the giving, and the encouraging gifts. You might say, well, physically, I'm unable to do all of that. I'm unable to go and help. But I would say to you, you can encourage, you can support, and you can pray. There's a place for every single person. God is not confused, and you were not a surprise when you were born. When you were born, God didn't say, oh my goodness, I forgot to plan for this one. What are we gonna do? No, God knew you before the beginning of time. And folks, please know that when we have a moment like this, we don't wanna guilt you into serving. That's not our hearts, and I pray that we would never do that, that we wouldn't even use language that would, would, would guiltify you into volunteering for the church. No, because if you do force someone to volunteer, you are making them do something out of obligation and not because it's coming from within them. Therefore, they are volunteering not for the right reasons. So that's not our heart here. I read an article this week called Church Volunteers and Oxymoron. I went to look for the Afrikaans word. I thought I was gonna get this beautiful, different word, but it's very simply oxymoron. Is that right? <laughs> okay, so I could have got that without checking my dictionary. But basically, for those of you who remember English from school, an oxymoron is having two ideas which are contrary to each other, put in the same sentence, you know, things like painfully beautiful. 
deafening silence or the walking dead. So that's an oxymoron. So I'll explain a little bit now why church volunteer is an oxymoron. So this article was written by a lady called Michelle van Loom, and I'm just going to paint this picture of the scenario. She was talking about she's on staff in their church. Their church was growing. Their resources were starting to get strained, human resource and just uh, natural resource, hardware, software, everything. They were sitting with the dilemma of having to get new, uh, they were sitting and spending many hours trying to recruit and retain volunteers. Okay, for, for those of you who have been involved with projects that require volunteers, that's something that you do often when you need them. You sit for hours trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we mobilize our volunteers? Listen to what she says. Paul describes the church as designed to function in a radically different, in radically different ways and terms. And we read this in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And volunteering is not part of the equation. So yeah, I'm starting to change the title of today's message. It's not volunteering Sunday. We are the body. The idea of a volunteer kidney or tibia in a functioning body is nonsensical. So here's the oxymoron. If we say to you guys, please come and volunteer, we're trying to build up the passion, you know, the emotions, you know, you've been living for yourself the whole week, just come and serve another person this weekend, you know. Don't you think that the next generation is worth sowing into and we try and use clever language and encourage people to join the team, join the V team, you know, volunteer, <laughs> you know. I've seen, you see some churches with big V shirts, I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just making reference to that, but we, it's an oxymoron because we're not called to be volunteers, we are called to be body parts, and body parts don't volunteer. What happens when they do volunteer? If my kidney decides, I'm done, you know, my body suffers. I'm, I'm in a d dangerous place, you know. I had a friend at school. He rode his bicycle barefoot and his big toe got caught in the, he lost his big toe. He had to adapt the way that he walked. He landed up walking like this because he didn't have his big toe. But he most probably never really worried about his big toe up until that point. When, we've, when we viewed fellow congregants as volunteers, we subtly emphasize what, what they can do rather than who they are as members of the body of Christ. I wondered if we were unintentionally building a culture where our volunteers were our blue-collared laborers doing tasks assigned by us, the white-collared staff. Unfortunately, many assist in their local church because they have been guilted by an overzealous staff member with an organizational chart to form. And, and you know, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in that, in that place. And I, I really believe God is encouraging us here today. Even us as staff, he's just helping us think clearly about how we do this thing as a church and as elders and deacons. We who follow Christ, this is still part of the, the article, we identified as servants, priests, and friends 
not volunteers. Each of these identifiers is wrapped up around a core of voluntary, grateful response to God. Calling members of the body of Christ volunteers communicates a 100-calorie snack pack version of the all-encompassing call to discipleship Jesus described. Isn't that amazing? If we get excited about just volunteering and helping, it's actually just a bite-sized portion of what God has called us to do. We are called to be body parts. I want to just end off by reading one last thought with you. I, I wasn't able to get through all of the, the, the verses that I wanted to, so please go and read verse 9 to 21 from Romans 12. But what I do want to say is that when we do understand that we are the body of Christ, then we will start to function in such a different way. We won't be a community of people that is sitting with gaps in our organizational chart. We will be sitting with a problem of how do we manage all of these ministries or communities of people that want to serve their brothers and sisters. It's a privilege to serve God, not a chore. It's an honor, not a burden. And it's only natural to do what you've been designed to do. And God has called us as a church to work together, all the body parts working together. Um, Carol just shared with me now briefly while the, the video was playing that during prayer this morning, God spoke to uh, the people praying about how he desires to position us in a specific way which will bring benefit to us as a body. So, so God is speaking to us. He wants to use us. When each of us starts being the church, instead of just attending church, we will be able to accomplish what we've been tasked by God to do. And this is inside the church and outside the church. If we do what we're supposed to do as the church inside the church, then we'll be able to do what we're supposed to do as the church outside the church. And if we do that, we'll accomplish the mission that God has given to us. And we're not here just advocating that you have to just serve here on a Sunday or within the church. We want to ultimately reach our community. We want you to be involved in the expression that God has given to you outside of this church. And we're already connecting with people who are doing that.